Hey moms, welcome to this week's podcast episode of Unhurried Christmas Grace. This is a short podcast series that I've created to walk us through the Advent season with our hearts and minds focused on Him. If you haven't listened to the other two episodes, uh, When God Flips the Plan and Advent, A Posture of humility. I encourage you to go back and listen to those. I'm going through a passage, uh, several passages in Luke, and uh, my last one, which will be next week, will land right on the Christmas story. But I'm going to take, I'm going to deviate just a little bit from the book of Luke and talk about some things that have really been relevant to my heart recently. And I'm guessing probably to yours as well. You know, as we wrestle with the challenges that we are currently experiencing in our culture and in the world, really, we find ourselves asking these questions quite often. These are just common questions that come up in the midst of difficulties like these and any time that we as believers are wrestling with things. Questions like this, Can God rescue us from the problems we face? Can He save us from the oppressive world powers? Can He break the power of our sin and help us deal with its consequences? Isaiah answers these and other pressing questions that every generation of Christians has asked. Moms, there is nothing new under the sun. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you learn that very quickly because repeatedly King Solomon makes that statement, there's really nothing new under the sun. Things that have happened before happen again. History repeats itself. And often we find ourselves in you know, our own situation feeling as though we're the first people to have to deal with this. But the truth is that church history is full of situations and scenarios that were incredibly challenging to the church. And as we look into Isaiah, we will find out that those exact questions that I mentioned earlier were really the pressing questions of his day as well. And Isaiah, as a prophet of God and a man of God who was anointed to bring the truth to God's people, answers these questions and other pressing questions throughout the book of Isaiah. And again, these are questions that every generation of Christians has asked. You know, in our humanity, we often vacillate between panic and despair and anger when we're facing the challenges that we do in life. Um, we have these this, this, these feelings um, and we, we vacillate between them, panic, despair, anger, without making a stop at the middle option, which is joyfully engaging in the battle that I'm happy to tell you, we are going to win. According to God's word, we're going to ultimately win this battle. And so we're going to talk today about engaging in that battle, joyfully engaging in this battle that we're going to win and delighting in our obedience to Christ. Because as believers, that is what we are called to. So as we look at the book of Isaiah, in this uh, specific 
place in Isaiah that I'm going to be reading from, God's people were under the rule of ungodly leadership. And though they had a historic commitment to the Lord, they were actually well on their way to spiritual bankruptcy and moral degeneracy. Now, I want to stop here for just a minute and relate it to what we are experiencing right now as a church. We know that specifically in the American culture, and and probably across the world in, in several countries, we can easily and truthfully state that the culture has impacted the church and influenced the church more than the church has influenced the culture in the last few decades. And so this is one of the reasons that we are where we are right now. And that is not a downer because, um, I mean, it's definitely something we need to grieve because it's something that does not please the Lord. However, we know that we serve a mighty God and a Redeemer, and we know that ultimately that we're going to win this battle. And we also know that God is going to preserve His church. He promises that over and over and over again in Scripture. So we know that He is a forgiver and He is a redeemer. And so therefore, we have hope. But as we think about our culture, I would definitely say, on our way to spiritual bankruptcy and moral degeneracy is a very accurate description. And the interesting thing about the uh, the people of God back in those days, um, they really were guilty of about a dozen crimes. And I, as I was reading through Isaiah, I ran across this list of crimes, and I want you to listen to these and um, think about how they apply to where we are right now as a culture. So the crimes were these, turning away from the Lord. At the root of all of Judah's crimes, they rejected God and His Word, refusing to trust the Lord or recognize His care. Second thing, they were employing sorcerers and mediums. The people of Judah looked to spirits for guidance instead of the Lord. They were worshiping with empty ceremonies. They went through the motions of worship while trusting in everything but the Lord. Fourth, committing murder and acts of violence. They took what they wanted through violence against their brothers. Have we seen any of this? This just all resonates. I can think of very specific things that have been going on in our country recently and over the last few decades that completely parallel with this. The fifth thing, worshiping other gods. They worshiped things they have made with their own hands rather than the creator of everything. Think about that. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sixth, Embracing vanity and pride, the people of Judah gloried in themselves and their accomplishments rather than recognizing God's blessings as the source of their strength. Can you hear the autonomy and the self-sufficiency that is just absolutely rampant in our culture? And in the church, I think this is really the important thing, is to recognize that these crimes were against God's people. These crimes that were committed were God's people committing these against God. And I think about where the church is right now 
And I, you can see so much of this that has gone on. Now, stay, stick with me because there's hope. There is hope. So the, the seventh is taking bribes and payoffs. Judges favored those able to pay and disregarded those without means, making a mockery of justice. Seventh, fearing people. They were terrified when threatened with attack because they didn't trust the Lord to keep them safe. Eighth, allying with pagan nations. Judah looked to powerful nations around them for protection rather than relying on the Lord for protection. Again, this is looking to anything besides the Lord. Putting trust in anything or anyone besides God. This is about where we are putting our safety and security. Ninth, oppressing others. Those with authority and power use their positions to take advantage of the weak and vulnerable. We have seen this happen in the church as well. Reveling with overdrinking. Rather than serve the Lord with sobriety and readiness, they abandon themselves to the pleasures of the moment. Now, let me just stop here and say that I am not against um, an occasional glass of wine or, you know, I, I some alcohol. I don't have a problem with that. But this is over drinking. The scripture talks about um, basically drinking in moderation, not to the point where you're using it to replace the Lord. You know, you're using it for comfort. Um, But we're seeing more of this going on in the church. And then lastly, trusting human strength. They believed their security came from fortifications and weapons rather from the Lord's blessings. And I feel like for us, we often look to either the government or we look to um, anything but God for our security. Um, knowledge, you know, so often when we're struggling, we just go and we look for information to help bring us comfort. And you can see that what all of these things have in common is that they're looking to anything and everything else but God for comfort, for safety, and security. So that is quite a list of crimes. And Isaiah was a prophet who spoke a strong message that God was absolutely dependable and it is folly to trust in anything or anyone else. Do you find yourself trusting in anyone or anything else? Self-sufficiency and autonomy have been the enemy's tactics since the Garden of Eden. Do you remember that story? Satan managed to bait and hook Eve by essentially making statements that made it sound like God did not have Eve and Adam's best interest in mind. And he continues to use that tactic in our lives as well. It's important that we are aware of that. So the other day, I was reading through Isaiah 7, and um, specifically 7 verse 9, the second half of 7 verse 9, just absolutely stood out to me. It says, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand. This was God talking to his people. Let me read that again. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand. In other words, our faith and trust have to be fully in the Lord. You know, I was um, 
walking the other day and I was literally telling the Lord, I need you to help me have faith. Help me believe like that father in the in the New Testament um, who went to Jesus for healing of his child. And Jesus said, I will heal your child if you will simply believe. And he said this, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. In other words, he believed, but he recognized that his faith was small. And I recognize that so often my faith is small. And and God is saying in that story, just ask me for the faith to trust. He'll even help us believe him. Isn't that amazing to me? That is just such evidence of a good, good God. He's not looking down on us saying, well, it's just too bad. You don't have enough faith. I guess I'm not going to answer your prayers. No, he's saying, have faith. And if you don't have enough faith, ask me for it and I'll give it to you. That's the kind of God we serve. And so it's quite interesting because as we talk about, um, you know, competing idols, things that are competing for our loyalty, for our faith and uh, for our dependency, we recognize that, um, it's easy also to fear people in the midst of this. But with again, without faith, we cannot expect God's protection. And so God tells us, look to me, ask me for that faith so that you can fully trust me and, and, and I'm going to protect you. He wants to help us moms. Some of the notes that I wrote after reading through that passage in Isaiah 7 God can be a stumbling stone for those who look elsewhere for peace and security. You know, as believers, we find ourselves struggling and wrestling. I do, at least. I'm sure I'm not the only one. And I often find it's because that's when my hope and trust isn't fully in the Lord. I am trusting in something else instead. And so God ends up being a stumbling stone because I'm looking elsewhere for peace and security. Also, combining fear or worship of the Lord and worship of human beings, fear of man, or worship of institutions or idols is called syncretism, and it is a deceptive trap. It's trying to sync all of those things together. The worship of institutions and human beings and idols and the Lord, it doesn't work. God is not okay with it. He is very much against it. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and soul and strength. And he insists that he does not share his glory with anyone. So when that's happening in our hearts, we are going to find ourselves with an inner struggle. Those who do not commit themselves wholly to God will live in fear of others and they will live lives filled with dread. And you know, I've been guilty of this. You know, I've known the Lord my whole life, and I still find myself sometimes filled with dread or filled with fear. And praise God, He wants to set us free from that. And the only thing that does that is committing ourselves wholly to Him. In other words, we cannot have competing idols in our hearts. God says he will not share his glory with anyone. He says in, in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. This is not God being a narcissist. 
This is his rightful position. It's perfect and right in every way. The only problem in this picture is us. We bristle against authority. That's the truth. None of us are righteous. We're born with a sinful nature and we struggle and we wrestle against the authority of God. And yet when we choose to humble ourselves and give ourselves wholly to Him, there is peace that passes all understanding. Now, (laughs) you're probably wondering by now, when is she going to get to the Christmas part? It's coming. Are you ready? Isaiah 9, 1 through 6 says this. This is God speaking to His people And he is giving them hope, the hope of the Messiah. And he said this, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. You ready for it? For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah was directing God's people to look ahead to the hope of the Messiah. Why? Because he exercises authority over all kingdoms. Moms, if you know the Lord, if you have given your heart to him, you know the Messiah. This is for you. We have this hope present and living within us. You know, I'm struggling with the um, the things that are going on in the government and in and with our leaders and with our governors and even uh, local authorities at times and I know that many of you are as well but I want to remind you today that Jesus exercises authority over all kingdoms he holds the government the government does not hold him. You know, I think I have struggled with this, and I know others who have struggled with um, and wrestled with Romans 13. And so I just want to add a little side note really quickly here, that in the next podcast, I have invited um, our pastor, and it sounds so official to call him pastor because he's really a friend and a shepherd, and he's just um, just a man of God who knows the word really well. And um, he is going to walk with us, moms, through Romans 13 and, and uh, help us 
interpret it accurately and show us what it looks like when it comes to biblical citizenship. That's going to be the next podcast, so please tune in for that because I think it's going to be um, full of um, some, it's going to give us clarity and wisdom as we move ahead in the coming days. But the important thing is to understand that Jesus holds the government. The government does not hold him. His lordship isn't limited to certain areas of our lives. You know, I think we have to understand that um, I think this is a temptation for all of us, and I believe that it's happened in the church for too long, and that's one of the reasons we are where we are, is we have limited His Lordship to certain areas of our lives, not every single area. And God's really been um, convicting me lately um, to just be wholeheartedly giving my heart to Him, wholeheartedly giving every area of my life to Him. It's amazing how we don't realize that we're withholding um, when we should be just continually giving everything over to Him. Because His Lordship isn't limited to certain areas of our lives. It is completely and utterly comprehensive. You know, again, Christians have been living as though we're allowing Jesus to be Lord over us privately and personally, but not declaring boldly that He is, in fact, Lord over everything. In other words, He's Lord over all kingdoms. He's Lord over all governments. He holds the government. The government does not hold Him. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is our mighty God. His powerful might will be sure that His counsel is weaved into all that he owns, and he owns everything. Because he is the Prince of Peace, his government brings peace. There is no end to his reign or his government, both over the world and over our lives. Nothing is off limits for God. And with that in mind, we can confidently and wholeheartedly give everything over to him. We have to remember that autonomy and self-sufficiency only bring perpetual dissatisfaction and eventual destruction. We were made, we were created to be utterly and completely dependent on Him. You know, most of us have a hard time fully envisioning what that even looks like because for so long, our culture, like I mentioned before, has had more influence over the church than the church has had on the culture. But God is waking up the church. He is faithful and He will show us one step at a time if we're willing to humble ourselves, to be teachable and to yield every last area of our lives to Him. This happens one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time. You know, I sometimes struggle with anxiety, and I know most of you do as well. And I can tell you that this is also a very effective way to overcome anxiety as we give ourselves over to Him humbly, one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. Let's remember that the government rests on his shoulders, that he will be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for doing the most loving and self-sacrificing thing you could ever do to offer your son and for all of us who have children that resonates with us because we love our children to the ends of the earth. We would do anything for them, God, and yet you sacrificed him for your people. And Jesus, you came willingly for us. Thank you for reminding us today of your might and of your power. Thank you for reminding us that you are the great redeemer and that you want us to wholeheartedly hand every part of our lives over to you. God, help us not to withhold from you. Help us to continually turn everything over to you, to allow you to have lordship over our lives completely and comprehensively, God. Thank you, Jesus, that the government rests on your shoulders, that you are called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.